0: Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church and the end of our series in the Gospel of Mark. We've entitled the series, Incredible, because it's about our incredible Lord Jesus. And this morning's message is about his resurrection. This This is the power of God. If the cross is the emblem of God's wisdom and power, the resurrection is the emblem of God's hope and promise. Here in the resurrection is the promise and the hope we have as Christians, and today's message is entitled, The Third Day. The Third Day. So as you turn to Mark chapter 15, verse 40, let me remind you that Jesus Christ, three times in the book of Mark, prophesied that he would come to Jerusalem, that there he would be beaten, he would be spit upon, he would be flogged. He would be crucified, he would die, and then on the third day, he would rise again from the dead. Let me remind you of those three occurrences in the book of Mark. First Mark chapter 8, verse 31, and he, Jesus, began to teach them, the disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days, rise again. And then Mark chapter 9, verse 31, Jesus again, for the second time, prophesies this. For he, Jesus, was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man, Jesus Christ, is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. And finally, in Mark chapter 10, he gets very specific. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 34, Jesus says this. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And kill him. And after three days, he will rise again, and everything has gone according to plan. They have delivered Jesus into the hands of the scribes and the Pharisees. They condemned him to death. They delivered him over to Pilate, and Pilate and his crew spit on Jesus. They pulled his beard out of his face. They flogged him to within an inch of his life, so much so that a man, Simon of Cyrene, we learned last week, had to help carry that 100-pound beam up outside the city so that he might be crucified. Here's the question. Everything's happened according to what Jesus has prophesied. Will this last thing happen? On the third day, will he rise again from the dead? And the answer is yes. Because the resurrection is the hope and the promise for those of us that live in a fallen world that are grieving. The cross is God's wisdom and it's God's power. The resurrection is God's promise and God's hope. Hope for the Smidgen family, for Cheryl and for Corey and for the Smidgen children who have gone through recently great grieving in the death of their husband and father and grandfather, respectively, the resurrection hope of Jesus speaks to you. That hope speaks to the Gonzalez family, who just a week after the death of Jay Smidgen, they experienced the death of their mom and their grandmother, respectively, Senia Gonzalez. And it speaks hope to the Kelso family, who just last week buried Tim's father and the grandfather to the children of Emily. Hope. Resurrection hope spoken to them, but not just to them, to us who suffer, to us who experience things in this world that are difficult, sicknesses, children that are handicapped, problems at work, looking at the world and seeing a world that seemingly has gone crazy, filled with problems, resurrection hope to those of us who experience death and sickness and pain and suffering and maybe even disappointment. I want to pray right now, before we read the text, that God's resurrection hope would fall upon you, dear friend. Whatever it is you're experiencing, whatever fallenness is in your life, whether it's grief over death, whether it's just disappointment in yourself, whether it's problems, whether someone has sinned against you or you're sinning against someone else, you would experience hope because Jesus is alive. Let me pray for you right now, before we read Mark 15, 40. Father, would you please, by your spirit, open up our eyes and mind to the resurrection hope, to understanding what the resurrection of Jesus Christ really means for us. And for some here this morning, perhaps for the very first time, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read together the words of God, Mark chapter 15, verse 40. There were also women... Looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the younger, and Jose, and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Verse 42 of chapter 15. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, Took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and, taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that he that had been cut out of the rock and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. Chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Solomon, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. It was very large. And entering into the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, who has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is an unusual ending to the gospel of Mark, is it not? And by the way, all of the oldest and most reliable manuscripts tell us that the book of Mark ends at chapter, at verse 8 of chapter 16. But what an unusual ending. This is not exactly the, the Hollywood ending we would imagine, is it? These women go to a tomb early in the morning. Remember, they're in a cemetery. Got a little freaked out by this guy dressed in white. And they leave. I mean, how does the gospel end? With the word... Afraid, trembling. They didn't even say anything to anybody. How can this be? It, it remains a mystery. How can it be that these women would leave trembling out of the tomb, particularly in according to the truth, that they were chosen by God as his star witnesses? of the resurrection. This entire narrative begins with these three women and it ends with these three women because these three women were God's star witnesses to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. They're mentioned here in chapter 15, verse 40, by name. Mary Magdalene. This is the one whom Jesus had cast the demons out of. Mary, the mother of James and Jose. James and Jose were probably members of the church in Rome to whom this gospel was written. And then Salome. Salome was probably the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and most probably the mother of the apostles James and John. These three women were star witnesses. God himself had chosen them to give testimony of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. the question is this, why did they flee? Why did they flee and not say anything? Our text begins on Friday afternoon in verse 40 of chapter 15 with these three women standing from a distance looking at The crucifixion of Christ. And our text ends with these same three women fleeing an empty tomb, wondering how in the world could the Jesus we saw be crucified and died on Friday, now not be in this tomb on Sunday? As a matter of fact, if you would have been standing next to those women in chapter 15, verse 40, you would have observed what they had observed. They would have observed these three women. There were other women with them, but these three are are listed by name, and God did that on purpose because he wanted to give testimony, specific, concrete testimony. Here are the witnesses. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of of James and and Jose, and Salome. These three. And what did they see? In verse 40 it says they were observing from a distance. What did they see? Well, they would have just seen, at three o'clock on Friday afternoon, they would have just seen Jesus after six hours of agony, breathe his last, and they would have heard him say, it is finished. He would, they would have seen him die. They would have seen a tough centurion representing the Gentiles in the Roman Empire stand in front of Jesus, and he would say, this, this man truly was the Son of God. <laughs> That's quite something to observe. And then... They would have observed Joseph of Arimathea. Pick up the narrative with me in verse um, 42. And when evening had come, chapter 15, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. They would have seen this respectable man, Joseph of Arimathea. A third witness of Jesus' death here in this narrative. The centurion, the three women, and now Joseph of Arimathea, a Jew. Interesting. This was written about 24 years later to a primarily Gentile church in Rome. And what is Mark saying? What is God saying? I am the savior of the world, of the religious Joseph, who's a member of the council, of the women who were observing, and of this Gentile Roman soldier. And they would have observed Joseph of Arimathea ask for the body of Jesus at 3 p.m. Because unlike the Romans, who regularly allow bodies to decompose on crosses scattered throughout their empire as a warning to anybody who would go against them, that's a pretty effective warning. Not only do you hear the man's cries as he writhes in agony and then suffocates to death, but then for the next couple of weeks or maybe months, you walk by, don't go over there. And they would would allow the body to rot on the cross. The Jews, however, were different. Because a Jew would give a body a proper burial. Even if it was your enemy, a Jew would go ahead, he would bury you. So Joseph of Arimathea, being a good Jew, says, no, I want to bury that body. But he wasn't just a good Jew. He was a man who was seeking the kingdom of God. Do you see that? Joseph of Arimathea, verse 43 a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. Joseph was looking for the kingdom of God and he believed that Jesus brought the kingdom of God. And so he asked for the body. And he was, he's representing a true follower, just like these three women represent true followers. If you read about them, they actually ministered to Jesus' needs, starting in Galilee, and as he went down from Galilee and walked to Jerusalem, they were with him the whole way, and they're the ones observing these witnesses of his death. And now Joseph of Arimathea is presented by God as another witness, a member of the council, a Jewish man. But he's believing in Jesus. He's looking for the kingdom of God. And, and he's, he's representing A follower of Christ. I mean, listen, when it says in verse 43 that he took courage, do you see that? Took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. It took courage to go to Pilate and ask for the body of someone who's just been crucified as a rebel against the Roman Empire. That took courage. And he did it. And these women, women observed Joseph take the body down, but it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and sun, the sun is going to set at 6 in the afternoon on Friday. And because it's the Sabbath as a good Jew, you can't do any work when the sun sets because it's the Sabbath. But you're a good Jew, and you want to bury this poor man. And so they hustled him off the cross, however long it must have taken, and Joseph was a wealthy man, and he had, he had a tomb. And so they observed Joseph bury Jesus or put him in that tomb. And that leads us to point one. Jesus died and was buried for the sins of his people. Church, let me remind you something from the very early church. The, the Roman church had a confession, the Roman confession of faith. It, it, it kind of became the Apostles' Creed, the Apostles' confession of faith, and, and it was added to in the 3rd and 4th and 5th century. But this is what the church has always believed. We're reading what the church has always believed. and It's believed it based on these eyewitnesses, these three women, these eyewitnesses, Joseph, this, this eyewitness, the centurion and Pilate, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, died, and was buried, and who rose from the dead. This is the confession of the church. This first point This first point gives us that confession of the church that Jesus died and was buried for the sins of his people. Why is Mark so intent on giving us these names of these eyewitnesses? Listen, you know what else Mark gives us here? Mark actually gives us a Roman medical examiner's death certificate. Did you know that? You know, there's some people that say Jesus only appeared to have died, they're mistaken. We have a medical certificate, we have a death certificate. You know how? Because when, when Joseph came to Pilate and said, I want to bury the body, look at verse 44, Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have been, already died, and, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead, and when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Five times in these verses, you either have the word dead, died, or corpse. And actually, tomb comes a little bit later. God gives us the eyewitness account of three Jewish women, of one Jewish man who was part of the council, of a centurion at the cross, of Pilate who's the governor over that region, and of the centurion that went and spoke to the medical examiner. They took his pulse. This guy doesn't appear to be dead. He's dead. Because let me tell you, if he wasn't dead and the centurion came back and told Pilate that Jesus was dead, the centurion would be dead. It's certified. Jesus died. He died. Why? Why such a certification? Here's why. Because Jesus had to die to take the place of his people who deserve to die with the curse of sin. Corey alluded to it earlier. Here it is on the screen. Genesis three seventeen to 19. God speaking to Adam, the first man in the Garden of Eden. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. And the curse upon us is this thorns and thistles and sweat and sin and people ripping us off and people breaking into our homes and taking the things that don't belong to them and and sickness and pain and ultimately here's the curse you will die and you will go back to the earth i've been to three funerals in the last month and they're all super sad and everybody's getting put into ground who's going to overcome that Who's going to reverse the curse? It has to be the Son of God who has to not only die, but be buried to return to the dust to fulfill that curse, to take that curse for you and me to reverse the curse that we might receive the blessing. This is what the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4a. For I delivered to you As of first importance, which I also received. Paul is giving us the early confession of the church, based on the eyewitnesses that we are studying this morning. That Christ died for our sins. Yep, these three women saw it. Yep, the centurion saw it. Yep, Pilate affirms it. Yep, Joseph of Arimathea affirms it. In accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried. He was buried. And, and if you look at verses 46 and 47, you're going to see that these eyewitnesses, these three women, and Joseph of Arimathea, put him in a tomb. And it says in verse 47 that the women, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jose, saw where he was laid. Jesus has fulfilled the prophecy, save one thing, and that's point two. Jesus was raised from the dead to bring life To his people. Jesus was raised from the dead to bring life to his people. Mark chapter 16, verse 1 brings us now to the third day. Mark 15, 40 is Friday afternoon. Mark 16, 1 is Sunday morning. The third day. The third day. This is the day of days. This is the day that Christ said he would be raised from the dead. Yes, he indeed suffered. Yes, he indeed died. But he would be raised from the dead. And on this third day, the three women begin once again our narrative. There are star witnesses here. They had watched Jesus be crucified from a distance. They had seen his body put in a tomb from a distance. And now they are going to the tomb with spices. Look at the text. Mary, the mother of James, Mary Magdalene and Salome brought spices that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, Sunday, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Now, here's the problem. As they're walking to the tomb, well, there's a couple of problems. Number one, they're probably thinking, are we really going to a cemetery while it's still dark? Because it took a while to get there. Are we really going to walk into a tomb where a dead man is while it's still dark? And they say, yes. Why? Because they are pictures of true followers of Christ. These are faithful women. Make no mistake about it. These are women that followed Jesus and ministered to him since the time in Galilee. These women were true followers. Like Joseph of Arimathea was a true follower. And so they're going to go minister to Jesus. But here's the problem. They're going to minister to a dead Jesus. That's the only reason you brought spices back then. Because they weren't trying to embalm him. You know what they were trying to do? Is bring dignity to his death. Because guess what? There wasn't time to put the spices around Jesus on Friday afternoon. And if you don't put spices and and fragrances around a dead body after three days, it begins to stink. And they wanted to honor Jesus. So they were coming to, to, to anoint the dead body of Jesus. But they had a problem, because in the first century these tombs had huge rocks rolled in front of them. Let's see a huge rock. There you go. And so they're walking to the tomb, and they're saying to one another in verse three, "Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb?" These stones weighed sometimes as much as a thousand pounds. As a matter of fact, I think this might have been a two. This might have been a, a double stone. All right. Because look what it says at the end of verse 4. It was, a, was very large. So I'm, let's just say a 2,000 pound stone. And they're walking to the tomb. They're coming to anoint a dead Jesus. And they're wondering, who's going to remove the rock? And in verse 4 it says, as they're walking there, they look up. And they saw that the stone had been rolled away. Have you ever, have you ever been walking in the dark? toward a situation that you want to minister to God, but there is this immovable object in your way. Metaphorically speaking, there's a, there's a 2,000 pound stone and you're walking there with your friend or your wife or your, your wife's friends and you're going, how are we going to move this thing? How are we going to do this? And they look up and here's the deal. God had moved the stone church, I, I pray you experience it. God can move that 2,000-pound stone in your life, whatever it may be for you. Oh, that, That's what the resurrection speaks to us, don't you see? <laughs> but it gets a little, little weirder because they're stunned. The stone. Now, okay, it's early in the morning, the light's barely there, and you know there's a dead body in there. How are you thinking as you kind of squat down, you're kind of going to go inside, you know, this is little, right? So I probably couldn't stand up. I'm like, and so as they walk in, what does the text tell us in verse five? And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe and they were alarmed. That is the understatement of the century. I mean, first of all, you're a little creeped out because you're going into a tomb and the light's just breaking and you're expecting to find a dead Jesus whom you love, and you want to anoint because you want to minister to him. You've been ministering to him for years, and instead you look up, and it's a young man. I don't know what he looked like. I don't know if he looked like David Bush. I mean, I don't know. But you're not expecting a living human being dressed in white, sitting at the tomb. No. That word alarmed, the range of meaning for that word actually includes the following: astonished, distressed, fearful, in wonder, dread, or pure terror. You got it? Are you there? Okay. And but listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. Oh, this is good. And this is, by the way, an angel. He's certified Airborne Ranger, SEAL team, whatever you want to say, okay. You would not mess with this dude, all right? Let me just say, not even you would mess with him, Sergio, all right? This guy was the real deal. Listen to what he says. Ah! Okay, before I tell you what he says, let me tell you this. This is the first Preaching of the gospel in the post-resurrection church. We've got the preaching of the gospel in the Old Testament. I got you. We have it veiled in the Old Testament. This is the first time someone's going to preach the gospel after Jesus has been raised from the dead. Here's the gospel. Angel's going to preach the gospel right now. You ready? Here it is. Verse 5. 6. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who who was crucified. Do you see the early confessions of faith? They come from this. They come from this. Jesus of Nazareth, it's a certain person from a certain city, not just any Jesus, Jesus from Nazareth, okay? Not Hylia, Nazareth. He was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. (laughs) And then I love the next part. Look, (laughs) there's nobody here. He's not hiding underneath anything. He's not here. He's not here. And then he goes on to say, But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Oh, friends, a new day is inaugurated. Church, let me tell you something. This is a popular movie, but it's not just a movie. Here's the deal. You ready for the newsflash? God is not dead. You understand that? He is alive. And it's Easter every day. I, mean, I just got a little deal going right up and down here. I need him. I mean, you there's a lot of things that appear dead in my life, right? How about yours? Relationships, things that you would want, dreams, hopes, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that we live in a fallen world with thorns and thistles and, you know, those of us that sweat a lot, we, we work by the sweat of our brow, right? And There's just days where it's like, it's all thorns and thistles and everything looks like it's dying. You know, I've got, I don't have a green thumb, I have a black thumb, okay? So I just kill every plant that I ever plant in the ground, right? And life feels that way, doesn't it? Businesses, whatever it is. But I, I got news for you. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that's your hope. That's my hope. On my worst day, I've got the resurrection, hope. That's the gospel, guys. Someone had to die. He died. He took our curse. And then he rose from the dead. And he lives. He lives. What's dead in your life right now? What do you feel has died? Jesus has come to bring life to that. Whether it's your life whether it's your, your your hopes, whether it's your relationships, whether it's a church, whether it's a community, yes, even a nation. If we repent, God 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 will bring life. He bring life to you. To you. What does it mean when the angel said, go to Galilee just as Jesus told you? Well, first of all, three times he told them, I'm going to die and raise from the dead. But listen, most recently in Mark 14, 26 to 28, listen to what Jesus said to them just three and a half days earlier, the night before he was crucified at the Last Supper. And when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered but after I'm raised up, see they all missed the after I'm raised up. They were still like, we were all fall away. I'm not gonna fall in. No, no, you're gonna, you're gonna fall in. No, no, no. But then he said this: But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. How gracious is our God, who says to them, Listen, as I told you, he tells the angel, tell them, angel, I'm gonna do what I told them to do. Go to Galilee. But you know what I love? Look at the text again in verse 5. 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Oh, I love that. This is God's message of grace to you and me this morning, friends. This is the message of grace. God began the gospel of Mark when Jesus gathered four fishermen to himself in Mark chapter 1. And now in Mark chapter 16, he's going to reconvene those four fishermen and a few others in Galilee. And he's going to complete his mission, and his mission is our mission. His mission has brought us here today. He's going to reach out and gather the very men that denied him and fled from him. And he mentions Peter specifically. See, it's redundant. Go tell the disciples. Peter was one of the disciples, but he said, Go tell the disciples and Peter. And you tell them that I said Peter. Tell Peter who's hiding somewhere up there in Galilee. Peter, who's going to freak out the first time he sees Jesus and jump in the water. I mean, Peter, who's just like, Peter is beside himself, but Jesus is saying, I died for that sin, Peter. I died. Jesus died so that holy God could meet with unholy man, including Peter, including you and me, because we walk away from Jesus all the time. Isn't that good news? Listen, to conclude this message... It's not just good news, it's great news. To conclude this message, there are three things that the resurrection of Jesus Christ speaks to us as believers. And I want you to write these three things down, and I want you to think about these three things. By the way, I want you to read 1 Corinthians 15. That's your assignment for this afternoon. It's the great resurrection chapter. It's the great chapter that speaks to us of the realities of the resurrection. I'm going to be quoting from it here in just a moment, but read that chapter today. Here's the three things that the resurrection speaks to us. Number one, regeneration. Regeneration. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 tells us this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. That's regeneration. If I'm dead and I'm regenerated, I'm made alive. Bible says we are dead in our sins. Christ Jesus has made al- us alive together with him. To be born again to a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There had to be a certified death, and then there's a certified resurrection, so this truth that has come down to us through the ages can fuel my soul. I have assurance of being born again. Two, the resurrection speaks to us justification, justification, the forgiveness of my sins. First Corinthians 15, 16 to 22. Follow the logic here. Paul is going to state something here using a negative. So follow the logic. Hang in there. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Some were saying there was no resurrection from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins there you go that 's key. Then those also who have fallen asleep died in Christ have perished and if in christ and if, if in Christ we have hope in this life only i e there is no resurrection, we are of all people most to be pitied, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits who have fallen asleep therefore, if it 's true that we're still in our sins if there isn't a resurrection from the dead, then it's equally true by inference that we are no longer in our sins because there's a resurrection from the dead, Christ's. So the resurrection speaks to us justification. And finally, the resurrection speaks to us glorification. Glorification. Friends, this is the promise that we have by which we purify ourselves. If your affections are non-existent toward God, And I'm stealing this from Corey's Grow course. Go listen to it, especially the first lesson. And the diagram that I'm referencing is on the website. You can download it. If my affections are low because of sin, either others against me or my own sin because of suffering, and I have no desire for God, I have no desire for his church, I'm just sort of cold toward everything. What, What revives those affections are two things. First, gratitude for what God has done for me, the justification piece, past tense if you're a believer, and then the glory, the promise of glory to come, the promise that one day there'll be a better life than the sorry one I'm living right now on this sorry earth, but one day God will return, Jesus will return and renew this earth. And that promise helps me fight the fight today. So I look backward in gratitude to what Christ has done for me. That fuels my affections. And I look forward to what Christ promises to do for me. And that fuels my affections. And that's what it says here in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 26. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each two in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. This is future tense now. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Do, do you know the resurrection power that speaks regeneration to you? Listen, you, you are regenerated, but also those dreams that have died, those relationships, all those things. That's the effect of the resurrection in your life. Do you know the justification that the resurrection speaks to you? You're not in your sins. Church, look at me. Your sins, if you are in Christ, which are great, then you're forgiven. I, I, I don't need a priest to tell me that. I got the... The high priest, Jesus Christ tells me that. Your sins, which are great, have been forgiven in Christ. Do you know that? And finally, do you know the glorification promise? However much you're suffering right now, whatever you're going through, there's going to come a day where there's no more tears, no more death, no more sickness. You are going to live in glory. You're going to share the glory of Christ, which then helps you suffer today well. And do what God's called you to do. And I know so many of you suffer or your loved ones are suffering. Listen, there's glory on the other side of this, my friend. Forever. Which eclipses the suffering for a moment here. I'd like to end with this appeal. The three women. We still haven't answered that question. Why does does Mark end this way? Why does it end with them fleeing, afraid, And not saying anything to anybody. Well first of all. Many scholars would tell you. The fact that three women are key witnesses. Is actually God's plan. To verify the truthfulness of the resurrection. Because at that time. If you were going to choose three star witnesses. You would not have chosen three women. Not in the first century. Not in Judaism. Quoting from James Edwards and his commentary, unless women were actually present at the tomb, the early church would not have placed them there since Judaism did not accept the testimony of women. But God did. Those whose testimony is discounted in human society, and that's pretty much all of us in this room, are the first to be included in divine society. All right, I get that. It kind of gives veracity, you know, to the account, right? They're not spinning anything. They're not choosing the highest-ranking people in Israel or the highest-ranking Roman. No, it's three women in the early morning. They're the first first witnesses. All four Gospels agree that Mary Magdalene was the first one to whom the resurrected Christ uh, revealed himself. A a woman, probably of ill repute, who had a bunch of demons. (sighs) Praise God. Praise God. That qualifies us all, doesn't it? But why did they flee away fearfully? Well, first of all, let's go back to the first point. It does lend authenticity to this account, right? I mean, if you're going to spin this thing, these women would be like an infomercial. I saw the resurrected Christ and it changed my life. I went forth boldly and, you know, no, 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 no. The, the, these ladies, these ladies walked in and they, they listen, listen, don't start, don't start on these women, okay? Because, first of all, you'd be creeped out too if you were in a tomb and saw somebody dressed in a white robe when you thought a dead body would be there. Like most of us would be screaming. It doesn't say any of them were screaming. Right. So, so they probably just went. And then it's just going through their head wait, he's dead. I saw him die. I'm one of those witnesses. I'm a key witness. But where is he? Is he where is he? They're probably like, what's going on? And who's this guy? He's telling me he's going to kill me? What? And then he said, go to Galilee? Galilee, what's going on? And so I could just imagine they just kind of walked out numb. You know, look, like when you get news. It's astonishing. They just were astonished. Right? But I believe it. This is the point. They and the church did not remain mute. Peter who denied the Lord in front of a little servant girl at a fire right before Jesus was crucified, would weeks later stand up and preach the Lord Jesus before the very Sanhedrin that had the power to kill him. And I bet you right now, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Jose and Salome boldly declared Jesus and who knows, they may have been martyred for his name. One of her sons was the first martyr. Because this encourages you and me when we're the ones that deny the Lord, when we're the ones that see something and are astonished and walk out and mum, and we're not going to say anything because, yeah, he rose from the dead, but I'm afraid to say anything. Jesus is telling us that, have faith, dear church. I died for that. I'm going to give you my spirit. 50 days after I rose from the dead, I would pour out my spirit on the church that they might be witnesses of me. That we might declare, friends, that because Christ has risen, we are alive, we are justified. And one day we will be glorified. We're going to end the service with this prayer. We're not going to sing after this, but let's just pray together, church, that God would anoint us with his power to know this resurrection truth and to go forth and declare it boldly. Because Jesus has risen. We are alive. Regeneration. We are justified. Justification. Our sins are forgiven. And glorification. One day we have the hope of being glorified. Let's pray. Father, I pray for me, for all of us, Lord, that you would please give us grace. Lord, if there is anybody here this morning that has not bowed their knee to the name of Jesus, that they would do it right now and even afterwards speak to us at the guest reception. Lord, I pray that you would give hope to those of us whose dreams have seemingly died. We look around us and there's, there's death everywhere. The, the stench of it is in our nostrils. Dreams about our homes or our families or, or even having children. Dreams about relationships. Maybe dreams about the church. Lord God, we bring them to you and we, and we come to you and, and we want to say we believe God. Help our unbelief. Lord, we say the resurrection speaks to us life. And your justification and the hope of your glory help us suffer well. In light of that, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.